0: It's under the hood. Follow us on the gram at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is Chicago's home for sports, ESPN 1000.
1: Another night and no baseball. When will it return? Glad if you're with us here on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. Dr. Patrick Rish is director of sports business at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. He joins me, Jonathan Hood, right here on ESPN 1000. Dr. Rish, Jonathan, thanks so much for your time.
2: Thanks, Jonathan, for having me.
1: I got. I, I want to talk to you and lead you with this. Uh, this column from Jesse Rogers from our staff here at ESPN 1000 covers Major League Baseball. This is from Tom Ricketts, the owner for the Chicago Cubs. He says the league itself does not make a lot of cash. I think there is a perception that we hoard cash and we take money out and it's all sitting in a pile we've collected over the years. Well, it isn't because no one anticipated a pandemic. No one expects to have to draw down on the reserves from the past. Every team has to figure out a way to plug the hole. Uh, is Tom Ricketts telling the truth here that the league, Major League Baseball does not make a lot of cash?
2: Yeah, I tell you what, um- whether or not he's right or not, it's still kind of a tough position to take publicly. It's something that just doesn't resonate well given the current climate. So um, I understand, you know, his frustration. I understand the players' frustrations. You know, one of the things that he said is there is a sense of a year-to-year phenomenon in the sense that you still have to pay players, you still have to pay your staff, you still have to, you know, maintain a ballpark but especially when you're a facility and a team like the Cubs that have made these major investments. And maybe the reason why he's saying this, Jonathan, is because the Cubs are in a unique situation. Most years, uh, I, I wouldn't have much sympathy for this kind of reasoning and logic. But let's not forget the Cubs have invested a lot of money uh, recently in upgrading the area around the ballpark. Now, they're the ones that are going to profit from that. And part of the reason why teams build outside of their stadiums and arenas and, and invest in these real estate projects is to avoid the revenue-sharing rules that exist in various sports. But the timing is is obviously not great because they're starting Marquee Sports Network. They're only a year or two into this, this real estate development, and obviously they've been hit really hard. They haven't seen a lot of business. So uh, one thing I would say is that and I'm sorry for going long here. It's it's a complicated answer uh, because it really is a case by case thing. Normally, I would say the Cubs are replete with cash, with 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 strong operating profits in the double digit millions. But I could see where right now the timing is a little bit harsh for them because of all these other things, uh, Jonathan. When people in the in the population they say, "Oh, well, look at the franchise value of these teams and how much they've gone up." Well. You don't really realize those profits until you sell the team. So, uh, yeah, the the franchise values has gone up, but you you can't bank on those profits right now until you sell the team. Uh, I just think the PR side of it, Jonathan, is not good.
1: No, absolutely not, uh, Doctor Rich. I I would just so you know, as a fan watching all of this happen, and I just think it just does huge damage to Major League Baseball every day that they don't play. I think about. Ricketts comment also in this column saying that we put $750 million into the ballpark. Well, that's true. I mean, Wrigley Field in the area uh, is totally different than it was five years ago because they want to have new revenue streams. They weren't going to tear down the ballpark, so they want to have revenue streams around the ballpark, which is smart. But you know what I also think about? I also think about... um, Teams like Oakland, teams like uh, the Miami, teams like Pittsburgh, uh, Kansas City, that are considered small market or small payroll. Well, you know, uh, will they ever see black because they don't put the they don't put their revenue uh, into the team like the Cubs, St. Louis, Dodgers, teams like that.
2: Well, Jonathan, exactly. And and by the way, as we as you were talking, I wanted to go to the Forbes website. And again, the Forbes uh, annually they put out these franchise valuations and, and it's imperfect because they don't have inside access but they, they you know they do their best and as I'm looking at the operating income estimate for every team in Major League Baseball the Cubs are at 68 million. For last year, that was their estimate. So that makes me even feel a little bit more queasy about Mr. Ricketts' comments. And I don't want to be, uh, overly critical because Mr. Ricketts is actually somebody who on opening day, uh, back in 2017, when they came down to St. Louis to play the Cardinals, Mr. Ricketts as well as Mr. DeWitt, the owner of the Cardinals, were kind enough to come in and were guest speakers in a business of baseball panel. But it, it this, just is a, again, from a public relations standpoint, I don't think Uh, I don't understand why he felt the need to come out with this at this time. Um, and, And more broadly, and you just referenced this, we see the NBA, we see Major League Soccer, we see the NHL. They have all figured it out. And Major League Baseball and the Players Association, they have decades of mistrust, but to not have the foresight to just make something work for this year, handle it behind the scenes, we heard nothing about hockey's return until it was announced. We didn't hear the hockey players you know, complain about what they were or were not getting. We haven't heard much from the basketball players. But for the baseball players and and for the owners to just have this public battle, boy, it's it's bad form all the way around.
1: Dr. Patrick Rish is director of sports business at Washington University in St. Louis with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the brand new ESPN Chicago app. I was floored, Dr. Rish, on the, the numbers that you put on your Twitter regarding the MLS. Um, I, I understand that there's going to be a lot of teams, a lot of sports that will be taking a bath. But can you kind of go through what you uh, were able to research regarding Major League Soccer losses here for 2020?
2: Well, sure. And and understandably, Jonathan, sometimes Major League Soccer gets the short end of the stick as it relates to the attention. It's not as popular of a sport in this country as as some of these other sports. Uh, But the one thing that Major League Soccer has in common with Major League Baseball in the pandemic is that neither season had really started. Uh, Major League Soccer season, teams had played two games. Some teams had played two home games. Some teams had played none. Based on my calculations, looking at team marketing reports fan cost index from 2019 as well as last year attendance averages my estimate was that if you have no fans for any major league soccer game this year you're looking at losses when you add ticket revenue as well as other match day spending food and beverage merchandise at 560 million dollars So when Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, came out, I think it was either earlier today or yesterday, saying that we're coming back and we're excited, but we're looking at losses of about a billion dollars, that's certainly consistent because my number of 560 million, about 56% of Garber's, but it only is focusing on match day revenues of tickets and food and beverage merchandise and the like. It really is quite uh, amazing, and I, I feel bad for my many friends that work with any teams in Major League Soccer. But, but, Jonathan, you know what? Since we're obviously in Chicago, I feel really bad for the fire because here they are. They made the transition from suburban Chicago to Soldier Field, which they should have done years ago. There's this, this trend. I won't say it's going to be a something that you're going to see across the league because most teams want to play in soccer-specific stadiums. But with the success in Seattle and Atlanta and now likely in Nashville, the league felt comfortable bringing them back to a football stadium, and they were surely going to draw many, many more fans this year, and, and obviously that's not going to happen now. Wondering
1: about the Jersey sponsorships in Major League Baseball, um, because there are a number of teams that have now, are now we've seen over the years now, Dr. Risch, with those um, those patches of sponsors. How much does that affect Major League Baseball as far as a lack of sponsorships because there's no games?
2: Well, uh, I, you know, obviously – Broadly speaking, Jonathan, when you don't have these games and you don't have fans in your building, a lot of these advertisers are going to be looking for make goods or rebates because some of these deals you don't see the value and the impressions upon fans unless you can do it in person. But I believe, Jonathan, that we've seen obviously soccer across the world; they're they're known for having the the uh, you know the corporate sponsor on the jersey front and center. We've seen the NBA three, four, five years ago. They instituted the jersey patch. I believe that you're going to see a lot of innovations, and one of those innovations is going to be not only baseball, but I think hockey and the NFL and any league that currently doesn't utilize the jersey patch, those are soon coming because teams are not just going to be making up revenue or trying to offset losses this year. Jonathan, they're going to be doing it for the next couple of years because of the size of losses we're incurring now.
1: Dr. Rich, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit because as someone that is a a college football fan, I am Uh. am seeing something here. Let's see if we can uh, agree on this. I believe that there is a divide, a gulf that is occurring between power five conferences or the power five teams and the power five conferences and the NCAA. There's a lot of examples of that, but I I don't know if we'll ever see a separation of church and state in that regard where the power five will just be their own entity. The NCAA does their own thing. But I just, when we hear rumblings that because of COVID-19 and how some of the states in the South have opened, it would not surprise me for us to be able to see fans in stands in some of the Southern uh, states when college football uh, begins. I'm I'm wondering how you see that here as we get closer to the season.
2: Well, first of all, I think that there's going to be some peer pressure. Uh, When some schools announce that they're going to be coming back and they may let some fans in, you're, you're going to get this mindset of well, we can't let them get one up on us, regardless of what, going on with, with the safety standards and so on and so forth. I think that's just kind of human nature, that these programs are so competitive with each other, certainly within conference, you don't want your conference neighbor to get one up on you in terms of revenues, and certainly when you're looking across what's going on at other conferences across the country, you don't want to see that. Um, ultimately, these schools, these universities, university presidents, they have to follow the safety standards, the protocols, and their region. But it's my impression that, as things stand right now, you are going to see. Again, this is the big the big if here, Jonathan, is if things stay as they are now with respect to the virus. Uh, if things don't see a spike, I do believe that you are going to see college football be played on time, and I do believe that you are going to see somewhere between let's say twenty and forty percent of the capacity of those stands being filled as long as those schools are following protocols. You know, what can you do? You make, you take temperature of everybody coming in. You give people a, 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 a quick test if those are available. Um, but you can't do that for a hundred thousand people for an Ohio state Michigan game. That's, that's crazy. You can't do that. But could you potentially have twenty twenty five thousand? 25,000 could you strategically spread these people out so that they're six feet apart and they have to have their mask on and so on and so forth? Yes, you could do that. Now, the, the issue, the, the concern that I have, Jonathan, I was just on a college campus not more than 30 minutes ago. I'm in Los Angeles uh, for the summer. I was at UCLA at the Drake Stadium with our track, and you had about 30, 40 people out there uh, either running, doing the stairs, doing chin ups, whatever the case may be. Not a single person out there had a mask on. And most of the people out there were between the ages of, say, 20 and 35. I'm concerned that if you do give the green light, schools have to be strict and make sure that the kids, if they're going to go to the games, that they follow the standards and don't turn out like these idiots that went to the beach back in March in Florida and just, oh, we're young and we don't care. Because, of course, those, some of those kids can be the uh, you know, carrying the virus.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Dr. Patrick Risch is with us, the director of sports business in Washington University in St. Louis with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000, the ESPN Chicago app. This should be a quick one for you, Dr. Risch. So sure. with, with, with the NBA and the NHL being sequestered all in one spot, there's there's zero revenue because fans can't come in. Is there? There's no way for any of these teams to make money, right?
2: Well, they can generate revenue, obviously, from their media revenue. They can generate revenue from their corporate partnership deals. So, and in sports like the NBA, Major League Baseball, uh, the NFL even, and college football, media revenue typically is the top dog. Hockey has hurt the most because in hockey, gate revenue is still the top dog, but at least all of these sports can still generate their national media revenue as well as some of their regional TV deals.
1: Okay. All right. Just wanted to double check on that. And I, we were just going through Adrian Wojnarowski from ESPN talking about how the NBA has their plan in place to be able to uh, return, have the NBA to return. And with a wink and a nod to you, outside of the, uh, the playoff teams that were already solidified uh, one through eight in both conferences, Here's Portland. Here's New Orleans. Uh, there's San Antonio. There's Phoenix. Sacramento. It's interesting how the NBA is trying to uh, have star power because I guess with star power it means more uh, people watching the television, which also means ratings and revenue, right?
2: Well, absolutely, and and I do think that the advertisers that pay, I think those they're going to be some of the biggest winners actually because the advertisers that already paid for the airtime or you know, ads during the, the rest of the season, well, they paid a certain price, but that was with the expectation of a certain rating. But as we've seen, people are craving sports right now. The documentaries on ESPN with the Lance documentary, mm-hmm. the uh, the Last Dance documentary, obviously, these went through the roof in ratings. I have no doubt that all of these leagues are going to see ratings gained, and that's just going to be a boon to the advertisers that paid for that airtime.
1: Dr. Risch, tell us about your book, They Shoot, They Score.
2: Oh, man, Jonathan, that was a lot of fun. It was uh, published in August of 18. Uh, people can find it on my website, patrickrisch.com, and it was an interview, 50 interviews, with 50 experts uh, across all different spectrums of the sports industry, from Joe Lakeup and Mark Cuban, who, of course, are owners of NBA teams, to presidents of various teams like Uh, uh, Rich Schlesinger, who's the president of the Milwaukee Brewers. I know he's a foe of both your team and mine, the Cubs (laughs) and the Cardinals, but you won't find a better guy. And certainly the Brewers have uh, been the little engine that could the last few years under his guidance on the business side. So just a really wonderful opportunity to, you know, I wanted to do it, Jonathan, in part for my own classes. Uh, I wanted to have some more structure, give students a taste of all the different aspects of the sports industry, marketing, analytics, leadership. I tell you what, one guy I really have to stick my chest out about that I think is just a wonderful leader is Chris Zimmerman, who's the president of the St. Louis Blues. I mean, this guy is as solid as they come, and, and you know, listening to him speak, you really feel it's a, it's a lesson in leadership. And one last bit, uh, Two people that I learned a lot about sports startups was Tom Penn, who runs LAFC, and Mm -hmm. Kerry Bulbus, who's the president of the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, literally, Jonathan, 30 minutes with them, I felt like I had a whole semester on how to run a a sports franchise.
1: (laughs) That's great. So again, they shoot, they score. You can find that book at Amazon and iBooks. Uh, Dr. Rush, I'm glad you spent some time. uh, We're going through a very difficult time looking for sports and um, the financial ramifications of it. So I'm glad you were able to uh, help our audience get smarter. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, no problem, Jonathan. I'm I'm glad you finally got rid of that Freddie Coleman guy. That guy is bringing it down. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> thank you
2: i'll make sure i'll tell him
1: that i'm typing uh, an email I'm right sure now i'm i'm going to
2: hear about that comment too <laughs> <laughs>
1: thank you dr rish thanks it is Dr. Patrick Rich, the director of sports business at Washington University, with us here on uh, ESPN uh, 1000. I'll be with Freddie Coleman. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at my uh, calendar here on the 15th. We're going to work uh, a week together between the 15th and the 19th. Freddie Coleman, he'll be able to hear some of those shows here on uh, ESPN 1000. All right, coming up next, uh, Drew Brees, quarterback for the Saints, is in the crosshairs for comments that he made. Should he be, though? Should he be? We'll talk about it
0: next right here on UTH. This is Under the Hood on ESPN 1000. Follow at TweetJHood on Twitter.
3: Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000.
1: Chicago's home for sports. So we know how polarizing Colin Kaepernick was when he was in the National Football League and continues to be, even though he hasn't been in the league in going to be now four years. So, Drew Brees... According to Mike Triplett, going to his column on ESPN.com, Mike Triplett does a great job covering the Saints for ESPN.com. After earlier sharing a message of unity on social media, Drew Brees, the quarterback for the Saints, uh, attracted backlash Wednesday when he reiterated his stance on how he will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America. Is the interview that Drew Brees had with yahoo finance let 's go back in time and hear for context what drew Brees had to say
4: well i, I will I will never agree with anybody um, disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country um, let me Let me just tell you what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the the flag of the United States, I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the Army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So every time I stand with my hand over my heart, looking at that flag and singing the national anthem, that's what I think about. And in many cases, it brings me to tears, thinking about all that has been sacrificed, not just those in the military, But for that matter, those throughout the civil rights movements of the 60s and everyone and all that has been endured by so many people up until this point. And is everything right with our country right now? No, it's not. We still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together. We can all do better and that we are all part of the solution.
1: So the thoughts there from Drew Brees. We want to play that for you in context to be able to get into this topic. Alright, so obviously there's gonna be backlash from what Drew Brees said uh from Malcolm Jenkins. Uh also Demario Davis has some things to say, but Malcolm Jenkins um gave his thoughts on Drew Brees talking about not disrespecting our
5: flag. Yeah, I promise you this The onslaught of that we have to deal with is crazy right now. Drew Brees, if you don't understand how hurtful, how insensitive your comments are, you are part of the problem. To think that because your grandfather's served in this country and you have a great respect, for the flag that everybody else should have the same ideals and in and, and, and thoughts that you do is ridiculous and it shows that you don't know history because when our grandfathers fought in for this country and served and they came back they didn't come back to a hero's welcome they came back and got attacked <clears throat> For wearing their uniforms. They came back to people, to racism, to complete violence. And then here we are in 2020 with the whole country on fire. Everybody witnessing a black man dying at the hand, being murdered at the hands of the police, with his, just in cold blood. For everybody to see the whole country's on fire. And the first thing that you do is criticize one's peaceful protest that was years ago when we were trying to signal uh, uh, a sign for help and signal for our allies and our white brothers and sisters, the people we considered to be friends to get involved. It was ignored. And here we are now with the world on fire and you still continue to first criticize how how we peacefully protest because it doesn't fit in what you do and your beliefs without ever acknowledging that a fact that the man was murdered at the hands of police in front of us all, and that it has been continuing for centuries, that the same brothers that you break the huddle down with before every single game, the same guys that you bleed with and go on a battle with every single day, go home to communities that have been decimated. Drew, uh, unfortunately, Unfortunately, you're somebody who doesn't understand their privilege. You don't understand the potential that you have to actually be an advocate for the people that you call brothers. You don't understand the history and why people like me, people with my skin color, whose grandfather fought for this country, who served, and I still protested against that, against, not against the national anthem, but against what was happening in America and what the fabric of this country is for, or stands for, If you don't understand that other people experience something totally different than you. Then when you talk about being the brotherhood and all this other it's just lip service or it's only on the field. Cause when we step off of this field and I take my helmet off and I'm a black man walking around America. And I'm telling you, I'm dealing with these things. I'm telling you my communities are dealing with these things. And your response to me is, don't talk about that here. This is not the place. Where's the place, Drew? I'm disappointed. I'm hurt. Because while the world tells you that you're not worthy, that your life doesn't matter, the last place you want to hear from, are the guys that you, that you go to war with and that you con- consider to be allies and to be your friends. Even though we're teammates, I can't let this slide. Wonder
1: did Vic Fangio hear that back and forth. The Denver Broncos head coach. There is a divide between Malcolm Jenkins and Drew Brees. There is a feeling between these two where they cannot agree. I read today and watched today how so many people were in awe of what Drew Brees said and surprised at the language and the way that Malcolm Jenkins went. See, here's the thing. Drew Brees and Malcolm Jenkins is a microcosm of society. A microcosm of America. Drew Brees feels strongly about the flag and our country. So does Malcolm Jenkins. They both do. But they have different ways of looking at our country. Drew Brees says that he does not believe in, in the kneeling that Colin Kaepernick did or anybody that would he, because he believes is a disrespect of the flag. And for me personally, I understand that point of view. You, you believe that if you kneel during the national anthem, you're disrespecting the flag. Uh, Listen, you'd be a moron to, to to say you're wrong for that. Why are you, how could you say that? Yes. How is that disrespecting the flag? Because that's someone else's feelings. So I totally get it. But when Colin Kaepernick or whoever else was kneeling because of police brutality and they tell you so and they tell you it is not because of a disrespecting of the country disrespecting the flag they said you know what i'm kneeling because of police brutality it is something i'm doing to show this city this state this country that we have to do something with police reform if you don't want to hear that that is ignorance it's ignorance And Drew Brees doesn't want to hear that because his focus is the team should be able to be together as one respecting the flag. Kaepernick and others that were kneeling said, we're not doing this to disrespect the flag. Brees has his own point of view. You're what Malcolm Jenkins said and talked about soldiers that were not able to come home. There was no hero's welcome to soldiers, but to black soldiers that returned after war. All those things are true. But the thing is, is that those two pieces of sound that we played for you is an example of how we can be able to come together and have a conversation. Jenkins and Breeze will have a conversation. Of course, they're away from each other because of COVID-19, they're away from each other um, because they're not in camp together, but they're gonna have a conversation. And either they're going to agree, they're going to disagree, but they're going to have a conversation. that is the whole point of all of this is that there should be a conversation between those two so they can come to some common ground. Even if they still disagree with each other, at least it's out there in the open. The idea that you troll on social media and, and you're part of groups and you're just steadfast in your belief and don't want to hear from the other side, you never want to be able to have communication. That's your problem. And that's one of the issues in this country that there is no dialogue. Social media has stopped the, the art of the conversation to be able to be open and free on how you feel point you know, with someone that disagrees with you. You'd rather troll them and, and try to criticize them through your keyboard instead of being able to come face to face with someone and say, you know what? You are disrespecting the flag. Nope, I'm not disrespecting the flag. I'm disrespecting police officers that are abusing and killing black people in this country. Nope, you're disrespecting the flag. And then it goes back and forth. So hopefully, Breeze and Jenkins can be able to come together and have some kind of common ground. Here's the thing that I t- take away from that. And I know, like, this is blown up all over the country. I can't believe Drew Brees. Look, look this is what society is. The lack of communication, or the or not being able to understand the other side, and a lot of people that uh, that will look at this and will say this is long political lines. I am not going down the road of liberal and conservative, of the uh, the Republicans, Democrats. I'm not going back and forth on that. That's not what this show is, because I'm looking on several websites. See, see, you see, like he's completely Republican. I don't care. I couldn't care less because ultimately all of this, George Floyd, the conversation about race, all of it is about humanity. It's not about a side of the aisle. I couldn't care less what side of the aisle that you're on. And you shouldn't care what side of the aisle I'm on. You, actually, you can't tell because I voted for both sides. So you can't tell what, <laughs> what side of the aisle I'm on. And I'm sure that you don't care. And I don't care about what side of the aisle you're on because ultimately if you are running your life and basing your life on a side of the aisle, you've already lost. <laughs> it's, it's not about red and blue. It's just about being able to be a good person to you, yourself, your family and to others. If you, if you base your life on a side of an aisle, you are already lost. My persona is a, rep- a staunch Republican. My persona, my, my heartbeat is to be a liberal, I, well you already lost so hopefully no matter what side Jenkins and Breeze are on they can come together and I know that's not sports radio because I got to be able to take a side I got to be on here just drilling Drew Breeze I'm not doing that or I got to be able to yell at at Malcolm Jenkins no point is is that both have to be able to come together if you if you're Drew Breeze you got to understand what Kaepernick and how some of uh, breeze's teammates have to uh, have have said they don't like what is going on in this country when it comes to police brutality and they're looking for police reform and they want to be able to not uh, be so far away from everyone else they want to be connected with everyone else they want equality and there's nothing wrong with that jenkins has to understand what, where breeze is coming from saying that you know i don't like any disrespect of the flag whether it is intended or not intended so this is what we're talking about here. Dialogue, coming together and being able to have a communication. Not just put it on Twitter, not just put it on Instagram, not trying to sneak in someone's DMs and, and curse them out because you've got issues, but it's actually to have a conversation and try to figure out what the other person is saying. More on the NBA with Ramona Shelburne next on UTH.
2: Is under the hood. This
0: is me. Under the hood podcasts are available now on the all new ESPN Chicago app. Available on your device now. This is
3: ESPN 1000,
0: Chicago's home for sports.
1: Jeff Dickerson and yours truly, Jonathan Hood, team up every Saturday on ESPN 1000. Our show is heard not only on our station but also on ESPN radio. Across the country, and also on SiriusXM Channel 80, we do it every Saturday. So if you're driving around, or if you're near your radio, your listening device on Saturday, check in. I believe we're on at four o'clock. Let me check it, Tyler. Four to eight on Saturday, we'll be on four to eight on Saturday. We're gonna, I guess, we're gonna lead into to the UFC coverage because uh, there's another a big UFC pay per view taking place on ESPN Plus. So we'll be on four to eight chicago time so if you're around saturday check out dickerson and hood as a matter of fact uh jd and i got a chance to talk to ramona shelburne earlier uh and we talked to her about uh, some of the goings on in the nba um one of the questions that we asked is all are, are all the teams in agreement with the return to the nba
3: um no i think i think they're all pretty much in in a place where they're ready to go right like there's people who um, we, we could see a surprise, right? We could see, you know, another last-minute charge of people who want to do this World Cup thing or, um, you know, a few more people who are angry that not all 30 teams are coming back or they want to have some kind of a um, guarantee that their teams uh, will have, like, a, something in the fall to where they don't go nine months without playing. But, I, but I, I think, you know, everyone's felt heard, right? Like, there's been collective bargaining with the players union the entire time. Uh, Michelle Roberts, who's the head of the Players Union, she's been doing virtual calls with all thirty teams this week, right? So they they get all the every player on every team, and you know the she'll schedule. A, I don't know if it's Zoom or Skype or whatever it is, but it's you know it's it's a call and they last a, you know an hour to each, where she goes over everything and they all talk, and then the owners have had um, meetings in their in their committees and also a couple of board of governors calls to talk about this, so. I feel like there's been a lot of talking and I feel like everybody's had their positions heard. And now it's just about coming to some level of consensus. And, um, Adrian Warznerowski and I were reporting yesterday, like everyone we've talked to seems to feel that we're going to fall, you know, it's somewhere on the line of the 22 team plan where with, um, about eight regular season games, those teams would play. And then you have the play in tournament, for the final seed in each conference, and then you have a 16-team straight-up Eastern Conference playoffs, Western Conference playoffs, just like we all know and love. Um, the you know obviously there's some details that need to be worked out with that. Um, okay, how many regular season games? How does that affect seeding? How are we actually going to do this play-in tournament? Are all um, there would be five teams in the West that are sort of compete. I guess six teams if you count the eight seed, um, competing for that one spot. Do they do they all go to the play in tournament, or is it just like whatever? What if you go zero and eight in those in those regular season games that we're playing? Right. So <laughs> a lot of the details of this have to be worked out. But I think people are getting pretty close to saying, yeah, let's let's make a decision. Let's go because people need to. You know, we're you're, you're running out of time here if you don't.
1: Ramona, uh, Jeff and I suspect that the reason why that the NBA just didn't go at the playoffs and is trying to bring in maybe, like you said, a play-in game, a few extra games, is because of more sizzle. Uh, There's been some interesting storylines before we had to stop because of COVID-19. but. I think there. Mm-hmm. Do you believe, in your mind, that Adam Silver would like to have a little bit more sizzle, say Zion Williamson, Lillard, and McCollum from Portland, mm-hmm. just to add a little bit more spice to uh, the res- resumption of the NBA?
3: I think that's part of it. I don't think it's the main reason. So I think there's there's two things. This is how you get there. Okay. So the players the players essentially said, okay, we we want to come back, we want to play, but we don't want to go straight to the playoffs. That that is. Every conversation that the union has had with the league and, and Michelle has with her players, and Chris Paul has with players, they don't want to have, you know, a three-and-a-half-month layoff and then right into the playoffs. Like, nobody – everybody feels like they need some time to get back in shape, to get shake the rust off, to find their chemistry again. Um, and so, therefore, if if we start from this place of we have to have some, some regular season games before we come back, they – They want those games to mean something. Otherwise, they're just exhibition games, and what's the point? Like, you're not really sharpening your focus on anything. Now, we definitely could affect some seeding. I mean, eight regular season games is enough for not just the teams at the bottom to to try to make a run, but definitely the the teams in the middle. I mean, there's not many games separating, um, you know, the the, the middle of the pack in the Western Conference. You could see some some shifting there. Uh, You could see some shifting in the Eastern Conference, more like in the – kind of the, towards the bottom. I think the top three seeds are pretty are pretty well solidified there. But um, that's why, okay? It's it's like they want – if you say we have to have regular season games because nobody wants to get hurt coming out of the gate, nobody wants their first game in four months to be a playoff game, then we, we need to make sure those games mean something. And if it's just the 16 playoff teams, you know, essentially playing out their regular seasons, then, one, it's uh, – those games don't necessarily mean anything because you don't want to give everything all away and also all all you are is playing for seeding.
0: I don't want to jinx it again Ramona. I'm knocking on wood here. Yeah. I don't I don't want to jinx it because we've talked about this before uh-huh. and just when you feel too good about things, it, things tend to fall apart, but if this does happen and they get back on the floor in in late July, um I'm sure going into the playoffs when we thought there was going to be playoffs as normally scheduled that we all had our ideas as to these are the teams that we think would be favored to win the championship. Right. Does does that change at all? Do those teams change at all based on this layoff? Like like, do you think one team uh, that was a contender might be uh, affected more than maybe some others because of the the time away?
3: I mean, I think it's a great question because, like, honestly, uh, the one thing that you could look at right now and say, um, the biggest the biggest change with this layoff and the way that we're going to have to do this going forward is nobody has home court advantage right this is a neutral site this is like ncaa tournament style right you're just i mean and even ncaa tournament you have fans there and sometimes they, if you're at high seed, they try to put you near where your home region is okay so this is straight up neutral sites so teams that have worked really hard for home court advantage and who quite frankly played better at home um i would say they're at a bit of a disadvantage now um, a couple of the contenders tend to play tend to play pretty good on the road. The Lakers are pretty good on the road, so I wouldn't hold that necessarily against them. It's just a pretty big advantage to be giving up cuz essentially the only thing the higher seeds get is, is okay theoretically an easier path through the playoffs cuz you'd be playing lower seeds but um you know look look at a team like the 76ers, right? Well they on the one hand they can't win a game on the road. <laughs> like yeah. they, they're just Jekyll and Hyde home and road, right? Well how is that going to affect things, right? But they're probably going to get Ben Simmons back. And if we didn't have this delay, I don't think Ben would have been playing. I mean, he was maybe going to come back in the last week or two of the season. Maybe that was a and, and it was and I would say it, depending on how he was feeling, there was a decent chance he wasn't going to be able to go in the playoffs. Well, now he's feeling fine. He's had plenty of time to get back. His back feels good. Like that's a pretty big advantage, I think. Um, I think the Clippers probably have a, a pretty big advantage because their two guys, Kawhi and, and Paul George, spent this entire time you know, load managing, I guess, right? They've been trying to get themselves back. So I would I would say teams that had injuries that guys were working through in nursing uh, are are in a much better place than teams that um than they were when we when we went to break.
1: Ramon, I'm wondering what is the relationship between Chris Paul and um adam silver or lebron and adam silver is there their relationship because throughout all of this of course there has to be conversations i'm just wondering how mm-hmm. well, they're, they're, the that relationship that lebron and chris paul have as faces of the league and faces of the union yeah. with silver
3: so I was, I was thinking about that a lot um as we're kind of as we've been covering this and seeing how this evolves it's, it's Chris Paul is on the phone all day long with direct contact with Adam Silver, Michelle Roberts, LeBron, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook. I just he's he's uh, he's hyper communicative. Right. From what everybody describes him as like, he's not he's not just sitting home. He's just on the phone talking to people all the time. And um, I think another part of this, too, is Bob Iger, who is the chairman of the Disney company. Right. That owns the, the Walt Disney World Resort where where this could resume. He's one of Chris Paul's really good friends. They talk all the time, and, and he's also tight with Adam Silver. And So I think, there. yeah, as much as all of this has been collectively bargained and there's a lot of, you know, everybody's having one big group discussion, it helps so much that the three principals in this, the three most important people in this, Adam Silver, Bob Iger, and Chris Paul, they're all buddies. They all talk all the time. They have a level of trust between them that can make – the deal and, and and deal making a lot faster and easier than what you see in, let's say, baseball, okay? Like, you know, you have a really adversarial relationship between the players' union and and the commissioner. You also don't have, like, one voice that, that they have in, in basketball. Chris Paul is, like, pretty unquestionably the face of the union, right? I mean, and LeBron James would probably be number two. Mm-hmm. Um, who's the face in baseball? Who's the one guy that you feel like he's speaking for all the players. Can you name him? I, I can't.
0: Nope, not in verbatim. I, mean, I yeah. mean. No. I mean Mac no, I mean as far as like Mac Scherzer had that statement the other night, but I still yeah. wouldn't say that like he's like the one major superstar yeah. that everyone everything else flows down from.
3: Right. So and I, I think that's a it's a really big point of difference between basketball and every other sport. Is that basketball has not only stars that are there they have a presence online and in the community and in the world but those stars also happen to be their union leaders right they they happen to be the face of the league who are also the person in charge of leading this negotiation with the league and with the disney company um that i think that's everything and in baseball i mean if 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 max scherzer sends a a tweet like we all take it seriously oh wow max scherzer put that was that was good right but I don't feel like Max Scherzer is necessarily speaking for everybody else. Do you? I mean, I, I I feel like he probably is, but I'm not sure. Does he have that position of power and leadership? Is there a united front? And when you talk about uh, power in unions, like whenever you want to talk about get you know, gaining power and how are unions effectual? It's when you have one face, one voice, and you feel like they actually have everyone behind them. And I, I think that's what's happened in basketball, which is why, of the major sports, they're the closest to returning right now.
1: Ramona, uh, outside of the LA versus LA storyline, which was the number one story I thought in the NBA before everything stopped, is mm-hmm. there another storyline that you was that you were really intrigued by when we do resume?
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was definitely interested in the Bucks to see if they could pull this off, right? Like they have the best record in the league. And obviously Giannis has the opportunity to sign that Supermax contract this year. Um, if they win, we you know it that that's probably the Milwaukee's best case to him to say you should you should stay here and sign the Max player your, your whole career here. Um, man, what do we do with that now? Oof. like, I mean, how do we have this year and how it ends up as any kind of a indicator on what his free agency is going to be going forward? Right. Um, I was also pretty interested in the Houston Rockets. Like, I, I like that team is they're just going for it. They're just totally going for broke. Right. Like this is. <laughs> you know, they trade away all their centers, they're playing small. They, they, they looked like they were getting something done. They were accomplishing something as after that trade of Clint clin- Capella and they just went straight up small ball. And I don't know, it was like an interesting experiment where because they're so playing so different, um, they're dangerous.
0: This is Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood
3: on ESPN
0: 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
2: Go Under the Hood with Jonathan
0: Hood. Follow us on the web at IGJHood and at ESPN underscore Chicago.
5: ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports.
1: We thank you for listening and being part of the program here on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN Chicago app. Our thanks to our guests. We had a, a number of terrific guests that made us smarter. Dr. Patrick Risch was with us. Jesse Rogers and Matt McGill from WVON 1690 was with us. Show produced by Tyler Key on the other side of the glass. All right. Don't forget, if you haven't done so by now, you should. It is on the ESPN Chicago app. Download that app. Look for Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. You can get all the podcasts, the shows that you might have missed. Also, for wrestling fans, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. We just got just talked to talk to Moose from Impact Wrestling yesterday in an interesting interview with Moose, um, former NFL player turned wrestler. So that's on the TWT side of things. So check out the ESPN Chicago app. And don't forget... Saturday, JD and I will be together from 4 to 8. So if you're driving around this weekend, check out uh, Dickerson and Hood. For Tyler, I'm Jonathan. Thanks for listening to Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood.